Our text, as you heard Matthew say, comes from the Revelation. Chapter 7, I'll be reading verses 9 through 17. You may follow along on the screens or in your own Bible, or just listen. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Then one of the elders asked me, John is writing, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And the elder said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Reverend Dr. Nora Tubbs Tisdale is a former pastor, a prolific author, and as of May of last year, retired from the School of Divinity at Yale Divinity School. Her book, Preaching as Local Theology and Folk Art, was a required reading in my DMIN program at Union Seminary here in Richmond. In her book, she challenges us pastors not only to study the biblical text, but also to study the congregation. She says it's important to exegete the text or to learn from, to draw from, to exegete the text when preparing a message, but it is also important to exegete the congregation, to learn from the congregation, to draw from the congregation, to learn the stories of the people, to learn the stories of the church. She says it is absolutely necessary to do both, to have an effective pastoral ministry. Often when pastors are well, they're well trained in, in studying the biblical languages like Hebrew and Greek, 
and we learn from scholars and commentators and can put together a well-alliterated sermon which includes some life application for the week. But all the while, Tisdale argues that many pastors are not so quick to listen and understand the people in the pews. To put it biblically, she says, the shepherd often doesn't, know, often doesn't know the voice of her or his own sheep. And I believe this is a tragedy in ministry. I do believe it's so very important to not only study the text, but study the people. And that comes just by spending time together, enjoying potluck suppers together, visiting in the hospital or the home, brushing up against one another in the commons area, and so forth. These are times when I consider it a blessing to engage and to hear stories, to share in your successes and to help carry your burdens. I take very seriously what it means to tread alongside of you in sacred spaces to walk on holy ground with you. Like Moses, I often feel so unworthy when I am invited into those places, and I feel like taking the shoes off of my feet. In one of her sermons, Dr. Tisdale terms these moments that are sacred thin places. She calls them thin places. And the term, she writes, is derived from an ancient religious sites in Scotland and Ireland that the locals call thin places. This does not merely imply that the air is thin, like Denver, or that the country is thin on a map, like Chile, or that the people are thin, like in Southern California. But rather, she is writing that they are called thin places because it is believed that in these places, the distance between heaven and earth shrinks and the veil between the two worlds is so thin that you can actually perceive something of heaven itself. The ancient Celts built places of worship on many of these sites. People who have gone on spiritual pilgrimage visit these places and are said to lose track of time and space while they are there. They know deep down inside that they are indeed on holy ground. She writes, in thin places, boundaries of time and space fade away. There is no yesterday, today, or tomorrow, only eternity stretching forth in a timeless continuum. There are many said thin places throughout Scripture. You've already heard me mention Moses as he experienced the burning bush on Mount Sinai. We can think of Isaiah's vision in the temple. We can think of Elijah hearing God's still small voice there in a cave, or Jesus appearing to the women at the tomb, or the scales falling from the eyes of Saul who became the Apostle Paul. These and many others in the Bible are thin places where heaven and earth meet. But perhaps there is no better guide to take us to such a place than the author of the book of Revelation, also known as the Apocalypse. 
Tradition holds that John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee, dreamed dreams and saw visions on the island of Patmos and recorded them for a church that was suffering from the hands of persecution and who had experienced martyrdom. If you read through the Bible, you will quickly, through this book of the Bible, you'll quickly see a glimpse of things that are too holy for words to adequately express. John invites us to join in peeking through the veil into the thin place of heaven itself. The view is different than streets of gold and pearl gates and walls made out of precious stones and a place of no more night, as the 21st chapter reads. Here in the 7th chapter, we don't get a glimpse of the physical attributes of the city of heaven, but rather its inner life, who was there and what it will be like. John's thin place, chapter 7, comes in the middle of the seven seals having been opened. Chapter 7 serves as sort of an interlude, as one scholar writes, between the opening of the sixth and the seventh seals. And you can read all of that context for yourself as you take some time, perhaps this week. These seals are symbols, we believe, of God's judgments on the world. And in what is recorded in chapter 7, we are able to see the protection of God and the peace of God given to the great multitude of believers in God who have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and will spend eternity with Him in a new heaven and a new earth where all things are made new. They are as they were in the beginning, Eden redeemed. John begins chapter 7 by talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, times 12, times 1,000. And we are reminded that we as Christians are grafted into this tree of faith that Paul spoke about and wrote about in Romans 11. Then John broadens the vision even further, saying that in heaven there will be people gathered from every single nation, tribe, people, and language, so many that no one could count them. The Greek is autos, udes, duname, Arithmeo, which is translated, no one had the ability or power to count the number. Choir, no one could count them. This Greek word, arithmeo, is where we get the word arithmetic for those of you who enjoy math. They couldn't count them. John is saying that there are going to be a lot of people there, and a lot of people who surprise us by their presence there. There will be people there we didn't expect. And there will be not people there that we did expect. Think about that. We will all be surprised with who's sitting among us around the heavenly banquet table. People we considered unforgivable, unredeemable, unworthy. People against whom we've held prejudice and judgment. And people we've labeled our enemy. And people whom we have overlooked and left out. Yes, they will be there. John's vision does more though more than reveal who will be awaiting us in heaven, he also shows us that it will be a very active place. We will not be sitting around playing harps floating on clouds. Many romantic painters paint paintings that portray heaven in that way. And not to make light of that, but I believe there is a whole lot more that we are to do than that. In his vision, one of the elders responds, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night in His temple. There will be ongoing worship of God. And while they are gathered around the throne, they are certainly worshiping, singing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And all there are seven key nouns there in that passage that refer to the way that people will be worshiping. And every one of those, by the way, as it's Mother's Day, every one of those seven is a feminine noun. And it helps us to see that God has created all people and has given the gift of love and helps dads and moms understand how we are to love. That's why we have that gift because of these attributes. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. They are worshiping. Heaven is a worshiping place. I'm reminded of that Mercy Me song that I love so very much. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what heaven will be like. When my grandmom died, Pastor Kay, Lutheran pastor, handled her funeral. It's kind of like Mike Krzyzewski. Nobody could pronounce his last name, so he just went by Pastor K. Ever since I was a little kid, I knew Pastor K. And at her funeral, he told the story of a child who asked him one day, Pastor K, what will we look like in heaven? And Pastor K responded to the child, we will look our best. We will look our best. And that was so comforting to me at my grandmother's funeral. Perhaps comforting to you. But we can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes and I find myself standing in the sun. S-O-N. I can only imagine when all I will do is forever worship you. I can only imagine. This text gives us a glimpse of what that is like. The Greek word here in verse 15, translated worship, not only means worship and praise like we've shared, but also it can mean to work or labor or serve or do things for wages. To worship then is not contained to the throne room. Rather, it is the kind of work that extends into those streets as the saints in heaven serve one another and God in Christ as He has first modeled serving them. This word for worship, it's latruo in the Greek and it shares the same meaning as the word liturgio, which is translated the work of the people. It's where we get our word liturgy. And I believe this thin place in the text shows us countless people. It shows us they are from every nation, tribe, people, and language. It shows us that we will join together in worship of our Lord. And it shows us that we will be serving God and serving one another, living out, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But there is more. It also shows us there is healing 
available. One of the great comforts that has comforted me in my time of loss and others is knowing that in heaven we are completely healed. We are whole again. This text shows us that heaven is a place of personal healing. What a comfort to know that our loved ones, many who have suffered greatly in this life with physical, mental, and emotional illnesses will be made completely whole in the life to come. They will experience shalom, peace for all eternity in the presence of the Prince of Peace. And heaven not only is personal healing available, but communal healing. Far more broad than our own personal lives and our loved ones and church members Heaven is also a place where the injustices of this world will finally be made right. The lowly will be lifted up and the mighty will be made low. Where God's justice and peace and righteousness will be the way for the time to come. Maybe this helps us understand fully the reality of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount found in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The healing that goes on in heaven will be one not only of mind and body and spirit, but a healing of the entire social order. For the Lamb who is seated on the throne takes the role of the gentle shepherd who will spread his tent or tabernacle over us all. And the word here translated tent is from the same Hebrew word that means a Shekinah glory of God. The same glory of God that went before the Israelites by pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. This lamb, as you heard in Psalm 23 and as we read in John 10 where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, this lamb will be our gentle shepherd. Leading his beloved people, his sheep, to streams of water where God wipes every tear from their eyes, where all things will be redeemed and made new. This text takes us to a thin place where the veil between heaven and earth is present. What are the thin places in your life? Do you have some? For you, it might be the mountains. Some of you enjoy going to the mountains and just looking out over the valleys and you sense that you are in the presence of the Lord. Others enjoy the lake on a cool morning where you can see the geese flying low. Others enjoy the beach so you can hear the waves crashing in and just like a a melody to you in the morning. Others might enjoy going down to Hollywood Cemetery just to experience God's presence there. It's a beautiful part of Richmond. Some of you might like stargazing. I know I enjoy getting out at night, and I have one of those apps on my phone where you can see all of the constellations, and sometimes I just put that away and just look and listen. I like watching birds out the window, and the chipmunks, we have a 
bunch of chipmunks in our backyard. And it's, to me, very worshipful to gaze out the window and watch God's creatures. Maybe you have a thin place where you can go and just experience that touching together of heaven and earth. Dr. James Melvin Washington was a scholar in the area of African-American history and church history at Union Seminary in New York. He died at the young age of 49. And he writes as a boy that he liked to gaze at the stars. In his book, Conversations with God, he records 200 years of African-American prayers that under its sacred canopy... He writes, uh, let me back up just a minute. He defines prayer in his book as an attempt to count the stars of our souls. That under its sacred canopy, an oratory of hope echoes the vast but immediate distances between who we are and who we want to be. And then he writes how he learned to pray. It was during the early morning hours, the two of us, my mother and me, were actually awake The window of the crowded children's bedrooms framed the East Tennessee sky as I lay communing with the stars. A whisper from my parents' bedroom forced me to cease my transporting enterprise, and I strained to hear what I would call a divine soliloquy. It was Mama's voice. Mama said a few words about her burdens, about her anxieties, and about her children. Then an awesome silence would punctuate her lamentation. To whom? God? Who was her conversation partner? This young boy is thinking. Because dad was working the night shift. Please Jesus, she cried. And Washington says, I felt that she was hurt. Something happened and I ran to be with her and rubbed the back of her Neck as she wept. He continues, In many ways I have been in spiritual solidarity with my mother since that moment. She taught me to pray. Her silence and her action taught me that I must pray. As I watched her for most of my young life, I noticed that prayer was her way of life. At any moment, pray, she said. I learned from her that prayer is a conversation with God. And I would like to suggest that prayer is one of the basic spiritual practices that we learn in Scripture from Jesus Himself and so many others that can take us to the thin places where we have a vision of a world that is not yet but ought to be. For me, that thin place comes in the mornings when I read a little poem called A Windowsill of Heaven, hence the sermon title. It comes from a little poem that had a tremendous influence on Dr. Theodore F. Adams, who served as the longtime pastor of Richmond's First Baptist Church from the 30s until the late 60s. And some of you remember earlier this year, Dr. Adams' son, Ted, died And we had the opportunity to hold his funeral here in the sanctuary. 
And after the funeral, his four sons gave me a copy of this little poem and also a book of their dad's, their grandfather's sermons. And I read this poem every day in my quiet time. When I read it, I feel as if I am in one of those thin places because the poem encourages us to take time to seek a vision of heaven and that vision of heaven will then sustain us as we turn and meet our day. Listen to these simple words. Every morning, lean thine arms a while upon the windowsill of heaven and gaze upon the Lord. Then, with the vision in thy heart, turn strong to meet thy day. May this prayer and these verses from this thin place in the apocalypse guide you as you face your day, no matter what it might bring. Amen. Would you bow with me? Thank you so very much, Lord, for gifting us with the thin places in life that we can have a vision of heaven that will help us to meet our day. I pray that as we have heard these words of Scripture, read and preached, and heard this little poem, and the other things all in between, that you would take them as a thin place that might help us meet our day, each day, no matter what we might face. I pray that each of us would seek thin places where we can commune with you and catch a glimpse of heaven on earth. In the name of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, the one in whose blood we are washed clean, and the one who will give us robes of white for all eternity, we pray. Amen.